Hello, you're listening to another episode of Uncomfortable, comfortable conversations around uncomfortable topics. Hi and welcome to another episode of Uncomfortable. My name is Debbie Roach and today I'll be chatting with certified money coach Meredith Besiker. For the past 25 years, Meredith has been working in banking, finance and accounting and she loves it. As a payroll compliance practitioner, she is currently pursuing the Chartered Professional Accountant designation. Meredith is passionate about the stories that the numbers tell her clients and provides up-to-date information that allows them to make confident decisions. And as a certified money coach, she is able to support her clients as they implement changes in their businesses that feel equally exciting and daunting. She especially enjoys working with creatives who aren't keen on numbers and reports and who want a simple yet effective translation of the numbers. I think that last sentence was about me. In this episode, we talk about money, you guessed it, and we do specifically talk about business owners and entrepreneurs and why the money conversation can be very uncomfortable for them. As always, I hope that you enjoy our conversation but there may be some adult language, so it's always best to pop on those headphones. Meredith, thank you so much for joining me on the Uncomfortable Podcast. I'm excited to have you here. And I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, Debbie. Oh, you're welcome. They, like I was an entrepreneur. I mean, I guess I still am. Um, and money can be a huge issue for myself and I know for other people who have their own business. And you know, even if you don't have your own business, money is always something you have to think about. And it's one of those topics that people don't like to talk about, or there's a lot of shame associated with it. Or when you're an entrepreneur, you don't want to look like you don't know enough about money or you know it's it's you don't want to look silly or ask the silly questions or what you deem to be silly questions anyway so I'm excited to have this because I feel like um, this conversation will benefit myself (laughs) but hopefully also a lot of my listeners so tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming um, an accountant and a money coach yeah, sure. Thanks so much. Um, it, it, my journey into becoming an accountant was a little bit unexpected. I was going to school, um, getting my arts degree, and I was studying English and French. And when I was 18, I decided that I would, you know, get a better job because the job I was working at as a cashier um, wasn't paying enough. I'm, there we go. About that, that's my first sign there. I'm not getting paid enough. Yeah. So my mom's friend said, Hey, why don't you look at banks? And, uh, I got a job working for, uh, Canada trust, which was fantastic because they had flexible hours. I could work at night and still be a student and something I'm really grateful for that because I ended up getting a lot of hours and I started working in administration. 
So I was able to work in the back, as they called it, balance accounts, do all these things I never expected to do. And it was really hard at that time because I was like an English and French major. I wasn't like a math, math major. I, I just, you know, made it through math in high school. Uh, so long story short, I was in banking for quite a number of years. And then I decided in my early 30s, which is like 10, 12 years ago, that I wanted to become a CGA. And so moved into public practice for a little bit and loved, loved, loved it. And then had my second daughter and she plays a lot into this story because uh, she has autism, high functioning autism, which we didn't detect for quite a number of years. And I wasn't able to go back to work full time. So I, I was very lucky. I got a part-time job working for local government in finance. I still got to work doing do work that I loved doing and uh, became a, a payroll um, administrator. Learned a lot there. But because I wasn't able to work full time and because my husband was laid off just after our second daughter was born, uh, we decided that he would start his own business in heating and air conditioning. And if I was able to work full time, that would have worked out really well. I would have been able to supplement that income that we were missing while he built his business. But instead, we spiraled into this horrible period of, uh, well, it was really financial crisis. And I had a baby. I also had a five or six-year-old. And it was just becoming this terrible, like, reactive period of our life. And there was so much shame, Debbie, because I should have known better is what I kept telling myself. How could we have just gone through so much of our savings? How could we have built up so much debt when I know better, right? So anyway, we came out of that. And after um, things were getting better financially, we were getting money back into savings, we were starting to pay off our debt. I was like, why am I still feeling so stressed out about money? My stomach was so, it was in so much pain. I was so cranky. What the heck is going on? And I figured out, oh my gosh, there's something emotional going here. I literally can remember the moment I picked up a sock from the floor. I was like, there is something going on with my emotions. So I went to chapters, found every book I could find, went to the library, found every book I could find. And there are so many books about the brain and money and emotion. And I was like, I need to tell people about this. I need to tell people they need to stop feeling so ashamed about their money. What can I do? And coaching just was the next natural step because yeah. it wasn't just telling people, it was also helping them come to their own, um, their own decisions when it came to money and their own goals. So that in a nutshell is how I fell into this. Wow. Well, and you know, it's so interesting when you say you kind of like beat yourself up because you feel like you should know better. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like I know you know, some people who are in the finance world and something similar has happened to them too. And it's been the same comment. And even for myself, even, you know, if I, I'm not super financially savvy, but I'm smart enough to know how to kind of budget and be careful with my money. But yet I had a business and I ended up getting into debt and same thing. Like I beat myself up about it and I mm -hmm. still have a lot of stress and I know I'm speaking for tons of people here who have felt the same way that money causes so much stress and that emotional connection is 
you don't think about it. You don't think that it is an emotional connection, but it really is because money's like, sadly, like the root of it's like to, in today's society, unfortunately, mm-hmm. you need money to be able to buy a house, provide for your family, like provide for the basics. Mm-hmm. So it's so integral and I hate that it is that way, but that's how it is. It is. We, it, it really digs into that lizard part of our brain, you know, that reactive bit, that fight or flight or freeze. And that's why we see so many people making poor decisions when it comes to money, because unless we know how to stop and think through it, give us ourselves a time, even if it's five minutes to think through something and ask for, know how to ask for help or know how to get help or help ourselves we're going to often make a decision that isn't in our best interest. Yeah. Yeah. Now, where do you tend to see, I know you work um, a lot with business owners and Mm -hmm. I mean, you can refer to business owners in this answer, but maybe, you know, just other people as well. Like where do you find people get most stuck when it comes to their finances? Um, The people I work with um, for the most part are people who, this is a generalization. We'll say they don't like numbers. Mm. They're intimidated. (laughs) So either they've had a bad experience in school with numbers, or maybe they're like my oldest daughter who has a disability with numbers. And by the way, she has a math disability and actually manages her money really well because she needs to. Yeah. (laughs) So that's fabulous. Yeah. Um, But that, that, or they're in an avoidance stage because the numbers are, Uh, scary to them and they don't know how to get out of that situation so they're either avoiding or the numbers intimidate them or they really do have difficulty managing them so those are three areas that that cause that stuckness anyway Mm -hmm. so where they're getting stuck is they just aren't taking action to move forward yeah and yeah I, I see that with a lot of business owners I especially come from a world of yoga teachers mm. and um, I know for you know people who are in that yoga world or even like a more kind of spiritual based career whether it's you know they're a recce practitioner or something like that like they find it really really difficult to have the money conversation and then they they tend to get just very stuck with their business because they don't want to ask for more money or ask for help Mm -hmm. you know and and kind of gain an understanding on how to grow their business Mm -hmm. so I get that and I mean then I've also been in the virtual assistant world which is not spiritual at all Mm -hmm. (laughs) and uh, still kind of struggled with with moving forward so is there like a particular um like what is the next step when someone's stuck what advice do you usually give them or do you have some sort of method of sitting down and kind of helping them out of that that place? Mm-hmm. I, I don't have a particular method aside from the the coaching practice mm-hmm. I have, which is simply asking questions and and giving people a safe space to just talk it out because mm. usually they can find a solution that is suitable for them. Um, but there are like that first step, if someone was coming to me and as an aside, one of the reasons I decided to become a money coach is I would often go to people's houses and suddenly all their credit card statements were in front of me or their bank statements, yeah. or they talk about money because they felt comfortable talking about it with me and they knew that I worked in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they were doing was asking for help. And that's the first step, but it's very difficult to do that with money. So if you can find somebody 
this isn't always the case. It isn't always possible. We don't always trust people, especially when it comes to talking about money. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can find somebody to, to talk to, whether that's a friend you trust, who will just listen to you talking it out, whether that's a friend who works in an industry where they can help you, whether it's in banking and they might be able to help you find a debt consolidation um, solution or an investment solution or budgeting solution. I have a few words on budgeting as well, for sure. Uh, Or maybe it's reaching out to um, companies that can help you with uh, debt. Debt's a huge problem. That's like, that, that's a really uncomfortable conversation yeah. and that's a huge problem. I, and if you, I think that one of the best people you could ever reach to reach out to is your banker. If you mm. have a relationship with a banker, I've been really lucky because I've worked in banking for so long. So I have lots of friends who work at my bank and, and grow new, new relationships. Uh, but if you have a banker who can help you, they typically want to help you. They really do. Mm-hmm. So reach out to them um, again with your, if you need help with your debt, if you want some um, saving solutions, even if it's like saving 20 bucks every couple of weeks, anything like that. So the message there, Debbie, is just reach out and ask for help. That's, mm-hmm. it's the hardest thing we can do, but it's absolutely what is going to help you move from that point of being stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And is there any, and I hesitate to use the word mistake um, because I think, you know, some some mistakes are just part of the learning, but is Mm -hmm. there anything you see, especially, you know, business owners do kind of too fast in their business um, that maybe could be detrimental to the future of the business? Oh, there's so many different things. So many. we got stuck in this with my business or my husband's business. I see this happen with other business owners in any industry it, with any business model. They feel that they need to keep up with the Joneses. They need, mm. they feel they need to keep up with their competitors and they have to have that new vehicle so that they, their business comes across as better, or they feel that they need to hire that coach because everybody else is hiring that coach. You know, you and I are very familiar with that. I'm a coach as well. So I, I'm not poo-pooing coaching. But I know that very often money that goes into coaching, like these very so-called high level coaching situations could be better spent in hiring someone to work in your business, to do the work that your coach is telling you to do. That's Mm -hmm. one of the biggest mistakes. I've made that mistake myself. And it's one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to hire that coach and still be sitting there working 12, 14 hours a day on something that we should be paying somebody else to do so that we can work better in our business. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that actually kind of brings me to a good point. I know we chatted about this before um, when we spoke last was these um, programs and workshops that are out there that say, you know, within six months, you can make a six figure salary as an entrepreneur or your online business and and that kind of stuff. And I do see, and I've done it in the past, like fallen into that trap and thought, okay, well, this is going to fast track me because that's what I need. Because right now I'm in this debt or I don't have enough, you know, money flowing in. So like how, with those styles of workshops, I mean, do you recommend them? I'm I'm guessing I probably know your answer there, but uh, (laughs) is there any type of workshop like that that is legit? How do you talk to business owners when they do want to to sign up for something like that? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I'll start by referring to our own situation with our business. I didn't know about coaching at all when my husband and I started our business in, back in 2006, I think it was, 2005. Oh, my memories are blurry now. This is what <laughs> children do to you. Um, <laughs> it was, or no, 2011, but it doesn't really matter. Um, what I wish I had known was that there were coaches slash consultants, because there's a, there's a definite difference between coaches and consultants, um, who have worked in the industry for a long time, who understand marketing for our industry, and I wish I had hired those people. Mm. The consultants or the business strategists who will sit down and say, this is what works I know this because I've studied it. I've got these case studies. I know what works for your region, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what concerns me about these make six figures in six months courses that we're seeing all the time, number one, we're seeing one person teach it to another person who's then teaching it to another person. They haven't been in business for a long time. They only know coaching and consulting because that's what, or, or they only know coaching in that little realm, maybe it's social media or, or whatever. And there's people signing up who are in different kinds of businesses. And what they're learning supposedly is not applicable to their industry whatsoever. Yeah. Whatsoever. So they're not they're not doing the like worst case study situations. It's just all, hey, if you put it out there and they're, you know, I'll, I'll quote my friend Elizabeth Sinclair, who I teach a class with, you know, there's only one you. Well, it doesn't matter. The reality of business is that there's competition. You have to look at that. There are ways to move forward in your business. Those six figures and six months courses are probably not going to be applicable to your business. So beware, find somebody who knows your business and who can help you. And for people, you refer to um, people like yoga teachers and people who work in the spiritual realm. That's really, um, some of these courses allow people who work in that realm to avoid what they need to be looking at as business owners. Mm. And it doesn't feel good and it might feel masculine, etc. But if you want your business to be successful, this is your responsibility as a business owner for the yeah. most part. Even if it's just getting out networking and putting yourself out there, you need to do that and let people know social media and Facebook ads and all of that is probably not going to work for your yeah, for your people. And I mean that's a big part of it is kind of knowing who your ideal, you know, client yeah. or buyer is, where they are, where they hang out. Maybe it is social media, but maybe it's not. So kind yes. of putting the energy into that place and doing that research up front, I think is huge, which is mm -hmm. something I, you know, didn't really do. Um, I just kind of got lucky with word of mouth, which I mm -hmm. actually think is for a lot of businesses is one of the best ways to market. It's huge. And with yeah. that, Debbie comes patience. Mm -hmm. so, so if you're going into business for yourself, set yourself up so that you can allow yourself that patience. Mm -hmm. Again, I mentioned networking or word of mouth, asking your clients who are happy that they're working with you to um, let other people know about you because we mm -hmm. often don't think about telling other people about people we're happy with. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. But that, again, that can be really scary. 
Yes, it's, it, it can be. I mean, I hated going to networking events. I know so many people who are just like, oh God, and I'm an extrovert. I'm not introverted. So I didn't even like it. So I really feel for the introverts out oh, there. <laughs> oh yeah. And I think it's finding the right events because I there's some networking events I avoid like the plague and then there's other ones like I'm going to a QuickBooks conference down in San Jose in November and I cannot wait because I'm <laughs> going to be with people who speak my language right yeah so just uh yeah so I mentioned networking I know that's not for everyone and I also know that that's not always the the best strategy but off I think what I'm alluding to there is that we're not doing those uncomfortable things that we should be doing in yeah. our business and we're relying on these courses that we're paying so much money for that aren't applicable to our business at all yeah which i mean are somewhat comfortable because you're sitting at home doing mm -hmm. them and you're behind a screen because usually they're online right i mean the one thing i will say i hate networking but it was actually a place where i would get clients and it wasn't always that initial event like i had gone to an event you know i would talk to people give out business cards and then i would leave and just think you know, I didn't really get anything from that. And it would be months down the line that I would get, you know, an email or a phone call from someone who would say to me, my friend met you at a networking mm -hmm. event. So, you, you know, so it is, it's patience, having mm -hmm. patience. And those places are somewhere where you can like plant the seed and just know that even if you didn't get something right away, a client on the spot doesn't mean that it was, you know, a waste of time at all. Yeah, yeah, totally. One thing that I've gotten really good at is uh, following up with people who I've spoken with, especially people who are really interested in working with me. But in mm -hmm. the accounting world, what people need to do is get their stuff organized and sent over to me. And that can take some time. So I've gotten really good at following up to make sure that um, they still want to move forward. It's a, a tiny little reminder. Maybe it, they've decided to work with someone else. That's great. Then I know that. And the other thing too, just as a slight aside, is I found out that um, someone was trying to email me back and my emails were bouncing back to them. Ooh, so yeah. that's another reason that mm -hmm. it's uncomfortable to follow up because you feel yeah. like you're being pushy. But there is so many easy ways to just say, hey, just checking in because we talked yeah. and want to know what the status is and leave it there. And yeah. That. yeah usually you know you do get people getting back to you and if they don't get back to you then maybe it just you know wasn't the client for you and and that's like totally you move on right totally kind of yeah. let it go so when people i'm curious to know because i mean as i mentioned the accounting side of things was just not my happy place at all <laughs> and i you know did have an accountant at one point but i still felt a lot of stress around it and um, when someone comes to you and they're like okay great i want to work with you mm -hmm. and you say okay you need to get all of this stuff ready for me like what is it that you kind of expect your your clients these business mm -hmm. owners to kind of bring to you before you can start working together mm -hmm. the very basic is please get all your statements together get all your receipts together and make sure you have a receipt for every transaction on your statements and let me know what those are for so it takes a little bit of time so if you have a restaurant receipt please let me know that that's for a meeting because you can't write off every single meal for yeah <laughs> that yeah. you use when you're in your business um and if you don't have a receipt at least write on your statement what that is so it does take time especially if people are a year or two 
or three behind. They're going to spend a day or so doing this. But if it comes to me, I can get it done so much more quickly and it's going to cost people less money. And I can't guess. Good accountants and bookkeepers should not be guessing. Um, and they also shouldn't be uh, posting expenses when we don't, you can't justify them in front of an auditor. There's yeah. lots of different conversations around that, but I'm pretty much a stickler uh, when it comes to that. And then leave it to your bookkeeper to, or your accountant to set up the um, accounting software. They can take it from there. That's all. They'll probably have a lot of questions for you in the first cycle of, of bookkeeping and accounting because they want to get a feel for your business. Um, so be ready for some of those questions. But that it's it's pretty simple. It mm -hmm. can be time consuming, but it, it's pretty simple. So anyone who's listening to this right now who's starting a new business or is a year or two in and maybe a little bit behind in taxes is just sit down with your receipts. That's all you need to do. Yeah. sit down with those receipts. And then what I like to do, I like to run a paperless practice and most uh, bookkeepers and accountants do now. So I have software where you can just literally take a picture of your receipt, upload it and put a little description or, or a category. And then your accountant knows what to do with it from there. Yeah. That's awesome. I know QuickBooks, you can upload it pretty easily. Have yes, you can. And then what I use with my clients is something called HubDoc. There's mm -hmm. also another one uh, called Receipt Bank. I use HubDoc myself and that's that's a really cool way to match match things up. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. that's cool. Now, you, you kind of mentioned bookkeeper and accountant and I know uh, there's also uh, CPAs out there. So mm -hmm. I always, in the beginning, I was kind of confused to what these three different titles were. Are they the same? Are they different? Can you kind of explain that to people who are just like, what's the difference? Totally one of my favorite questions <laughs> of all time. And in fact, I'm writing a, a, a handbook right now for um, business owners who are just starting to get into their accounting because mm. like I, I was meeting with a fellow uh, a, a number of months ago and we had a great conversation. He was learning a bit more about me to see if I could help him with his business. And at the end of it, he's very loud, not loud, but he's boisterous and confident. At the very end of the meeting, he leans in and he says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what is it going to ask me? And he says, what's the difference between a bookkeeper and an accountant? <laughs> I said, oh, that's a fabulous question. And now when I meet with people, I explain this. So a bookkeeper deals more with the day-to-day -day transactions of, of the books, of the accounting, of any transactions going in and out of the bank credit card and maybe some investment accounts and, and debt accounts. So they'll get those posts which means they, they get that transaction into the software. Um, an accountant, maybe I'll, I'll go the, all the way to the other side, a CPA, which is mm -hmm. what I was going to school to study for before I had my youngest, yeah. um, the, formerly known as CGAs or CMAs or CAs, um, they are uh, designated to do things like audits and reviews. So banks they'll take um, annual, annual books from the bookkeeper and they will compile those books. And depending on the level of the engagement is what they call it, of the job, essentially, mm -hmm. uh, they'll do, um, they'll just take the books and, and compile them. That's a notice to readers. There is a review where they'll do, um, they'll say, okay, I've done a review. There's nothing that's really sticking out here. 
banks usually want reviews. So if you're planning on lending from a, or borrowing from a bank, you'll want a review. Um, audits come in with nonprofits. Okay. Uh, sometimes bigger companies uh, with shareholders, actually companies with a lot of shareholders who are public will want audits as well. So accountants will do like, uh, they'll trace one transaction all the way through. Well, they'll do a lot, but they'll take mm -hmm. it all the way through. Accountants aren't necessarily chartered or certified. They might have training. They just might have done this work for so long that um, they can prepare your end. So as long as a business doesn't need that review or that audit, accountants uh, who aren't certified or chartered can take care of that, and they can um, uh, also prepare taxes. Some bookkeepers also prepare taxes as well. So uh, again, it depends on what your business needs. Great. Right? And it's good to be aware of that because some people are like, should I have a CPA? My clients have CPAs because they need to have um, those, those other, uh, that other documentation. So sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. I actually totally thought you needed a CPA to do your taxes. Not always. Mm. I would, I never discourage it. You can have mm. a bookkeeper that have a CPA come in and review it. I, I never discourage it because that's a great second set of eyes mm. mm -hmm. on it. Um, myself, like I said, I was going to school to become a CGA and then that flatlined <laughs> my daughter the baby yeah. um, <laughs> I will be um you know I've worked in this world for a long time I've been keeping up on a lot of the policies and regulations but I'll myself I'll be going back to school to uh just continue my training around taxes so that I can give advice throughout the year so mm -hmm. an accountant can can who is also doing bookkeeping can stop and red flag things so mm. like hey you've suddenly made a whole bunch of money you either need to go talk to your CPA about uh, your, um, uh, how much you're paying yourself right now or dividends or what do I do with this? What's the best, best, uh, Ooh, that was almost a 40 and slip. <laughs> best tax situation. Uh, yeah, they, and good bookkeepers will also do the same if they've okay. been doing this for a long time, they'll be able to red flag things. You know, which is kind of a great point um, and leads me to my next question is when you're a small business and you start to kind of make all this money and say you haven't incorporated because you didn't have to in the beginning and um, you were just a sole proprietor or even in a partnership, when is essentially kind of a good point to start to think about incorporation? Mm -hmm. So there's two main reasons business owners will incorporate. One is to limit their liability mm -hmm. because when you incorporate your business, that business becomes its own person. It doesn't make you totally infallible. If you do something wrong yourself, you can still be sued. But if, if something, if your business went um, bankrupt or something happened with it, it does often limit your liability. Mm -hmm. So that's one reason. So people who make, who are at a lower revenue or profit level will often incorporate uh, for that reason. Mm -hmm. Another reason though, is because of taxes, right? Um, you can uh, the you can save a little on taxes or a lot on taxes if you incorporate. But it's almost like this little game of Frogger, back mm -hmm. and forth, back and forth. So I can't give you a level. I can't say it's when your business is earning this uh, or when you have this profit because revenues and profits are two completely different things. Yeah. Um, the best thing to do is go talk to a CPA or an accountant who specializes in tax prep, tax 
preparation so that you can determine when it's best for you. Um, because if someone's single, it'll be a different situation than if someone is married, for example, mm. or has a family, because there's so many other things that play into that. Yeah. So just, just go talk to a tax expert to find out. Uh, it, costs, it costs money to incorporate. You can do it yourself, but it's best to do it through a lawyer. Mm -hmm. You have to um, send an annual report every year. Your lawyer will do that. It costs a couple hundred dollars every year. You need a, your uh, CPA often or an accountant to do the year end and prepare taxes. So it does cost more money, but maybe it's worth it if you're going yeah. to, be able to save more in taxes or limit that liability. Mm, okay. Yeah, I I definitely feel I incorporated and it, it was more for like the legal reasons. Um, but then I felt maybe I had done it a little bit too quickly. Like I wish I had spoken to someone prior mm. to and gotten a little bit more advice. So I think that's, you know, great advice on your part. Now, one thing um, I'd love to bring up, because again, this is a huge thing when you're talking to entrepreneurs, is setting your rates that you mm. are charging other people. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not a virtual assistant anymore, but I'm still in a lot of the Facebook groups and forums. And this is a question that comes up all the time. It's like, what's your rates? What do you offer for packages? And then people feeling a lot of shame around charging what they think they're worth. Mm -hmm. And that's something that comes up a lot, not just in the VA industry, but I think probably any Everywhere. industry, right? Every yeah. industry. Yeah. So what advice do you have when people are setting their rates? Oh gosh. Well, it, it, we have two extremes here. We have people who are giving things away for free all the time. And then the other extreme is the whole charge what you're worth situation mm -hmm. for people yeah. who offer services, not products. Right. Um, I, th I think that's more in the services industry and we need to find a nice common ground. I, one of my key indicators for myself um, that tell, tells me that I need to increase my rates is I start feeling really resentful. And I don't like feeling that way. So I've learned to notice that right away because I don't want to feel that way about my clients. It's not their fault at all. I have the most wonderful clients who do not take advantage of me. So it's nothing to do with them. But for me, it's like, okay, ding, 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 my next contract, I need to raise my rates mm -hmm. and dig into that a little bit. But usually at that point, I'm feeling confident about raising my rates because I know that I'm doing a really good job for my clients. Yeah. They're very, very happy with what they're getting. So that's my own little indicator. Um, another indicator or tool that will help you know what to charge are market rates. Mm -hmm. Do your, this goes back to doing research. What are your competitors charging? What are they offering? Uh, at what level um, are they? How long have they been doing this? How long have you been doing this? Sometimes that plays into it. Sometimes it does not. I was reading a post yesterday from um, somebody who is a, a, a face, you know, Facebook friend, and she is a massage therapist. And she was expressing frustration with her fellow massage therapists or bigger businesses who were offering cut rates mm. because that cuts her rate down and she's an independent massage therapist. So there's things to watch for that. 
then it ties back into the, what's the value identifying the value that you offer your clients. Like for me, the value I offer my clients is that I have what I call a boutique practice. I don't have, a, I don't want, nor do I have a whole bunch of clients that I'm doing cleanup for because mm. I would be exhausted. I wouldn't be noticing those red flags and I don't, and I'd also be missing family time and that sort of thing. I want to treat people's businesses like they're my own. That's the value I offer. So as a yoga instructor, what's the value you offer? Do you have another practice you bring into it? Is it, is it that you can't, people keep telling you, you bring a calming feeling to the room when practice starts, that sort of thing. Listen to what people are telling you because mm -hmm. that's the value. And then ask, yeah. ask people. It's great to ask your clients, like, what is it that you love about working with me? And also the other question, what else would you like from me? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, a great point. There's a lot of, you know, just to kind of continue the yoga teacher example, teachers who have different skill sets. So they don't just teach yoga, but maybe they have a background in nutrition and they can mm -hmm. work that into their class or they're also like, you know, certified in some sort of meditation that's a little bit different that they, you know, bring into the class. And I think that's really great. But I, like you said, um, with your massage therapist friend, I've seen frustrations voiced by yoga teachers um, who are kind of trying to speak to the people who are teaching for free um, mm. and offering classes for free that mm -hmm. then they're kind of undermining that industry. But then those yoga teachers just want yoga to be accessible to everybody and yeah. you know, want to offer classes to people who can't afford to go to the big studios. So it's this kind of, you know, where's yeah. the happy medium? Yeah. Cause I want to help everybody too. Like yeah. I, if, um, as a money coach, I've done money circles and I do those for mm -hmm. free and I'm finding ways to bring in experts. Like in, in our, in Canada where we are, we have, um, and a lot of people don't know this. And in fact, I just found this out myself. The CRA Canada revenue agency will send out liaisons to meet with people one-on-one -on -one or as groups in like a seminar setting oh, wow. to help them learn about their business taxes and everything that comes into that for mm -hmm. free. Wow. So yeah. That for me, I'm finding ways to help my local business, fellow local business owners get access to these resources yeah. without it being um, really detrimental to my time because that's one of my the biggest things I value is my time. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of us do. So find there are you don't there is a nice happy medium. You can charge for what you do and you can also give back in other ways. Mm -hmm. And most businesses do that. They sponsor um, nonprofit yeah. causes, etc. So it's that that is a toughie because we we want our service a lot of us want our services to be accessible but that's where we get back to that point of being resentful tired we actually can't serve people as well as we want to yeah. and the other thing too debbie is what i have found is the people who really want to work with me want to pay me mm -hmm. so trust in that it's a little bit woo woo but trust in that have some faith in that and just know that you don't have to help everybody yeah please know that please know that 
I love that, that you said, because, um, you know, when I, again, started my VA business and uh, I was trying to figure out what to, what to charge, but I had been an executive assistant and I'd been in admin for a long, long time, like a decade. So I didn't want to undervalue myself. And I think I started my rates at like 35 Canadian dollars an hour just to start out and try and, Mm -hmm. you know, get it going. And I was somewhat surprised that people would pay that and I got Mm. clients and it was kind of no problem. And then, you know, I just said, okay, that was my introductory rate. So if you want to keep working with me, it's now $40 an hour and they continued to pay that. And then at one point I put up even more depending on the amount of hours they purchased from me. And because they worked with me, they trusted me. They must have liked the work I was doing. They mm-hmm. continued to pay that. Um, so I think, yeah, just putting trust into your skill set and into yourself. And yeah, those people will want to pay you. That's right. Absolutely. And for me, I'm raising my rates in, um, actually, I'm raising my rates as of now mm-hmm. uh, because I know that I get the work done faster. Mm-hmm. So really, I'm still earning the same amount of money, but I, I'm getting it done faster and my clients aren't really paying a whole bunch more there either. Um, but it's, it's really, yeah, it, the whole conversation about how to price can be difficult. I think the first thing is look at what the market's doing, look at what value you offer. Um, sure, if you're just starting off and what you're doing, it it's okay to start a little bit lower, but pay attention to those little signs that tell you yeah. it's time to, to charge more. And those clients who love you will be okay with that. Totally okay with that. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's so true. Now, why do you think, I mean, just in your experience working with business owners and even just on a personal level um, or people who, for people who are not business owners, that there's still a lot of shame around money and it still causes so much stress. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's the case? Well, we alluded to that or talked about it a little bit at the beginning of our conversation where it really is like an emotional trigger, 100%. If you're curious about it, there's so many great books out there that you can um, find. Some are more on the spiritual level. Some are not. They're more on that neurological, this is what's going on with your brain. So I'd really advise seeking out those books or podcasts or resources. Um, Klontz. There are, there's a father-son doctor duo. Their last name is K-L-O-N-T-Z. They have some great resources on that. Okay. The other huge piece of that, though, is our culture. Our culture is, it's huge. It's that whole yeah. keeping up with the Joneses. Whether you're an online coach trying to make it seem like you're this successful, I've got all the money because everybody seems to want the money yeah. thing. Or um, you are, you know, I'm going to digress because I don't see that so much in people who have like a a bricks and mortar business model. Mm -hmm. You know, the the conversations are actually a bit more open about money. I think it's because we can see the business and people are face to face and and they can be a bit more close. I've talked to lots of business owners who are like, I'm in a money crisis right now. Things aren't really good right now. But getting back to it, there is, um, I think, especially online, social media has, we could talk about it ad nauseum, have, it's really caused uh, issues with these expectations for ourselves because we think we need to keep up with everybody yeah. else. Yeah. So for myself, I don't know if it's because I'm getting close to my mid-40s or the, the, my money crisis I went through. Now I don't care what anybody else is doing. 
Yeah. I need to pay attention to what's going on in the market for sure. Yeah. I don't care what anybody else is doing. If you, if that makes sense. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If someone else goes and gets that huge mortgage to get that big house, I don't care. Yeah. I know what's important <laughs> to me, which is not getting another huge mortgage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's so true. I mean, even I, you know, I'm a big Instagram user and I'll follow a lot of, uh, entrepreneurs and businesses that may be somewhat related to my business or it's just interesting and everybody kind of just looks like they're super successful until you talk to them mm-hmm. and then they're like actually you know no I'm paying this loan off and I'm oh, yeah. you know in yeah. so much debt or I can't get enough clients and it's like oh wow like I couldn't you did a great job at hiding it but um sometimes I just want those real conversations or you know it's I don't like you necessarily care I think it looks great that they're they look like they're being successful but then you know you hear the other side where that's not actually the case it is and I get this great little insider's view into Mm -hmm. what's going on I have for 25 years since I started in banking I know that very very often the people who look like they're successful are swimming in debt and the people who are millionaires you wouldn't know it at all that's a huge generalization i'm not saying there's anything wrong if you're making money and you want to have that fancy car and you want the diamonds or whatever go for it because that's what you're working for there's no shame in that but there are there are these expectations on us they're very subconscious sometimes mm-hmm. to, to do more and, and get more and to make it seem like we're okay. So I, yeah, I love that insider's view to go, okay, that that's good to know. And people love working with me because they're actually, there's never judgment. So people might come to me and say, I'm three years behind in my taxes. I'm like, great. Yeah. Let's get that sorted out <laughs> and let's move forward. I do. It doesn't matter to me. Don't because they're very sheepish and, and they're yeah. very, they're very ashamed that they haven't been working on this part of their business or this part of their personal life. Let's just, let's just move forward. It's yeah. great that we're talking. You don't have to feel ashamed. It's just money. And I think where a situation like that is really scary is they think they're going to end up owing tons and tons and tons of money. Let's just go into it and think maybe you won't owe a ton yeah. of money. Maybe yeah. I'll come out okay. But maybe you will. But (laughs) we'll sort it out when we get there. (laughs) Yeah, let's just kind of figure it out. Now, when you you see, you say you get these kind of insider views, I'm curious to know if there's anything that you see the people who have, you know, a kind of successful business doing with their finances that people who are maybe struggling you know, could, could start to do for their business and help grow. And I mean, I'm not saying make them millions, but at least, mm. you know, have a business that's bringing in a decent profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one, they're remaining very, very responsible with um, their obligations to the government mm-hmm. and to their vendors. They're staying mm-hmm. on top of those. In yeah. other words, if they have staff, they're remitting their source deductions, which is their taxes, CPP, EI here in Canada. Yeah. Um, they're uh, doing their GST reports on a quarterly basis and sending in those payments. They're paying their vendors properly and they're making sure that they're not overextending themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like if, if they want to um, make this large purchase because they think this next product is their, their best bet, they've done the research to make sure that that makes sense. So with business comes risk. So I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that you, you, 
some of us are going to make mistakes every once in a while. That yeah. is business, but they've done their best to mitigate that risk to, yeah. to decrease it. Right. Uh, the other things they're doing to be responsible is they're putting money aside. So for instance, uh, people who follow a profit first model, uh, I'm not a profit first expert at all, but I work with uh, one myself. Like I have a, a partner, mm -hmm. uh, someone I refer people to who works with that. They're, they're taking money just like we should with our own income. They're taking money and putting it aside yeah. so that they're earning money on their business. Suddenly they have some savings. It's just those little bits, like 200, 300 a month. It starts adding up. So you can see yeah. that your business is profitable. Sometimes it's, it's much more, right? Yeah. Uh, the other thing, which is really interesting is they're borrowing in time. So they're not waiting to borrow at the last minute. They're not waiting to, um, for example, if they know that they want to borrow money because they have uh, a business that they're going to need more equipment for, they start planning for that before they're actually going to hit that growth point and need wow. it. Mm -hmm. That's very key. Again, with business, you're going to have to borrow sometimes. Be ready yeah. for it and just, just get to know your best lender, get to know the best situation. So that, that's key as well. Yeah, which kind of brings up another really good point is the fear around borrowing that a mm -hmm. lot of new businesses have. They maybe don't know how to go about it. They're just scared. They just don't want to be in debt. You want to have a profitable profitable business but not have to pay debt but depending on your business that may not be an option as you say you may need to buy equipment you may need to staff because you're opening yeah. a store right yeah. so do you know of any kind of great resources to turn to if if you know a new business is looking to borrow I sure do uh the first one is uh the business development bank of canada they work with entrepreneurs I saw an excellent presentation coincidentally at a networking uh, <laughs> event. They, they're, they're fabulous. They're there to help yeah. business owners. They're the ones who um, want to find the best situation. They're not there to take advantage of anybody. So yeah. they're, they're definitely a great resource and they have great resources on their website to help you um, uh, learn about budgeting, about mm -hmm. cash flow, which is, key and you might make a lot of money but if you don't have the cash flow you can get yourself into a lot of problems yeah um and another great resource we have here in british columbia and i think we other provinces would have a similar organization um is community futures mm. i know a ton of people who have borrowed from community futures okay. It is a cool, cool, cool organization. And they work with people, I think in Vancouver as well, but um, also they're very helpful to rural uh, business owners, people nice. in rural being outside right. of Victoria and uh, Vancouver. Yeah. So those yeah. are two excellent, oh, excellent. <laughs> took out my computer there. <laughs> so I had to borrow money to get a new computer. I said, <laughs> those are two excellent resources and the people there just want to help you. And even if you're not ready to borrow, you can find lots of other great tools. Yeah. I mean, I, I did uh, borrow from Futurepreneur who work with mm. uh, BDC as well for um, loans to kind of first time new businesses. You do have to be under the age of 39 for some reason to, to get that. But I know, right? <laughs> I don't know why, but um, <laughs> other than that, one restriction, they are uh, great and they do mentorship as well. So it's yeah. not just like, here's the loan 
alone and you're on your own. They actually provide a mentorship and lots of workshops. I'm a big fan of Futurepreneur, which unfortunately is only in Canada. Sorry, anyone mm-hmm. else listening, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure probably other countries may have some sort of equivalent. I'm sure many do. I don't Definitely. know about the U.S., mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm, I'm positive there's many other countries that are very forward thinking yeah. with this kind of thing. But yeah. there, I'm sure there's some states out there who have programs like that. Yeah, yeah, probably. So it's just kind of you know doing a good old Google search and, yeah. and finding those resources. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that Futurepreneur, and I think if anybody can do this, if you go on their website, and I'll post a link to this, um, they have like a, a thing that helps you create a business plan. Um, and then you can use that when you are going to apply for funding, whether it's through them or your bank or something like that and I know some other banks offer something similar where they have tools to help you build a business plan so totally. that was really yeah. helpful for me because I I know so many people who never put a business plan together mm-hmm. I didn't really think I would need one but when I did one it was incredibly helpful like it yeah really was yep that's that piece that is uncomfortable for a lot of business yeah. owners it feels again I'll use the word masculine because we hear that a lot or just it feels hard or it feels you know mathy I don't blame people who again I don't we're not picking on yoga teachers but I don't blame like yoga teachers or people who are working more and I work like uh, I have a client who also uh, works in the art in arts as well in the art sector and I don't blame them for not wanting to look at this stuff. I, I mean, business plans are kind of even boring to me, but they're very helpful because yeah. they hit that marketing piece. Yes. They hit that cash flow piece. It's very, very, very helpful. They totally get you out of your comfort zone. And I mean, yeah, myself as someone who's fairly creative, was a yoga teacher. I mean, I do have the admin component to myself, but I still hate finances and I, you know, hate having to sit down and kind of put all this together and come up with a plan. Um, Mm -hmm. But when I did it, I was like, wow, this has given me so much clarity. Um, And, you know, I've even now kind of done it for my podcast as well. And I mean, you could do it to anything in your life, right? It gets easier and easier every Mm -hmm. time you do it. And then you know ahead of time to start paying attention to those bits of information you're going to need. And BDC, uh, the Business Development Bank of Canada and Community Futures and Futurepreneur, like you said, they all have people there to help you Mm -hmm. work through that. So you're not doing it on your own. Yes, which is huge because as a business owner, often you feel very isolated and alone, mm-hmm. but there are, you know, again, organizations and networking groups and stuff like that, that can really help. And I think just opening the conversation around money is step number one to get people mm-hmm. to feel okay about asking for help because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't in the beginning and I kind of wish that I had. So uh, yeah, this has yeah. been awesome. Any, any last words, any last thoughts before we wrap up? Something that just popped in my head is I heard it in my head. See, I can be a little <laughs> woo too. Was Remember that you went into business to do something you love and to make money doing that. Mm-hmm. So don't ignore that money, uh, that money bit, just like you were saying, don't ignore it. Go in and start having those conversations right away to get comfortable. You're doing this to make money. Yes. Don't be ashamed of that at all. And aren't we lucky when we get to make money doing things we love and helping people in such significant ways? We're so fortunate and we inspire other people to do exactly that. 
Totally. It's, it's a, a privilege for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not something that that many people get to do. No. So, you know, when you are starting your business, just make sure you set up on the right foot by having the money conversation and getting clarity yeah. around that. I definitely wish I had, but uh, hopefully you guys who are listening to this um, will do that. So feel free to comment and let us know how your business is going. And of course, if you have any questions, um, you can comment on our website or social media and I can pass those questions to yeah. Meredith. Um, yeah. yeah, well, thank you so much. This has been uh, inspiring for me and then hopefully, Good. and I'm sure, inspiring for everyone listening. So I really appreciate your time. Thanks. Mary. Oh, absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much, Debbie. Thank you so much for listening. Now, I highly recommend that you find out more about Meredith and the work that she does by visiting her website, pacificrockaccounting.com. And if you have any questions for her or would like to work with Meredith, then you can shoot her an email at info at pacificrockaccounting.com. And of course, I will put this in the show notes so it's easy for you to find. If you enjoyed our conversation or have any comments that you would like to share, then head over to this episode page on our website, which is uncomfortable.blog, and you can post them in the comments box. You can also follow us over on social media. We are at uncomfortable.blog on Facebook and Instagram and uncomfy underscore podcast on Twitter. If you like what you heard, then head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a glowing review and make sure to hit all five of those stars. You can also support us on a monthly basis by becoming a patron and pledging as little as two to five dollars per month. Your monthly pledges will help keep this little podcast on its pod feet by covering costs such as website, podcast hosting, editing software and equipment upgrades. You can find out more by visiting uncomfortable.blog forward slash donate. Thank you again for listening. Now go out there and get uncomfortable.